medical department, only two go to the bench, and we are more than a dozen. We don't train, we only recover. That's a, that's a situation. Preparation, hard work, confidence in overcoming those difficult moments. Today we're still outside Liverpool and we are going to the first part of the medical test. Welcome to the Football Medicine and Performance Podcast. I am Andrew Shafiq, a doctor in Newcastle and your host for today's podcast. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Jonathan Hansen. Jonathan is a sports medicine consultant with a background in emergency medicine. He has worked as an emergency care advisor to the FA and worked on head injury systems and immediate care with the England senior men's team at the 2018 FIFA World Cup. Jonathan wrote the FA area course, which preceded the current FA ATMIF course. He currently works as a team doctor for Glasgow Warriors Rugby and has extensive experience working at the Beijing and Rio Olympics and with the Scottish Rugby Union. Thank you for joining us, Jonathan. Thank you very much. So that introduction could have gone on and on, really. But I think one of the key, the key things that we missed there was that, Jonathan, you're a, a fellow graduate of Aberdeen Medical School. Um, so I think this That's podcast right. feels quite close to, to the roots. That's it. And uh, as one of my colleagues always puts on, um, some of the best doctors in the world graduated from Aberdeen University. So there you go, Andrew. That's for you and I. <laughs> That's it. That's it. So, so given your experience, Jonathan, in particular interest, um, we thought it'd be good today to discuss human factors in high-performance football um, and concussion recognition in major tournaments. So just to start off with the kind of human factor side of things and the concussion, we should probably give a bit more of a background about the intro that, that I gave to yourself. So do you mind starting off by telling us a bit about your work with the FA in the England senior men's team? Sure. Um, so as, as you've kind of alluded to, you know, my, my kind of goal in life was to do um was to be a team physician a, a sports medicine um, doctor and a sports medicine consultant but equally um my path has done an awful lot of emergency medicine so i'm currently um you know work as a a sports medicine consultant in the emergency department in scotland which is quite a weird um combination um so my angle into everything um although most of my teamwork has been rugby it has been through immediate care training, um, like you mentioned, the um, the area course, which which I inherited from Mark Gillette and, and took into the FA um, as its predecessor to Atmif. Um, so, as a that was my way into football. I'd only done a little bit of football before with um, the World University Games, uh, looking after Team GB and the, one of the rare British football teams that we have. Um, at a, a major tournament uh, many years ago but on the back of being involved with area and doing immediate care um, type courses I ran those for Scottish Rugby for about 10 years and my interest changed from how do you put a piece of plastic into somebody's mouth or how do you open an airway uh, to what was happening in my other job in emergency medicine with how do you minimize error how do you make the team working better um, so that you're less likely to make an error in a high pressure moment and you can straight away see how that's comparable to working in the, the top, top end of high performance sport where that's exactly what we have to do all the time you have to make decisions based on your experience um, and your decision making skills <clears throat> excuse me so 
I came into the FA um, again in um, 2016 after the Euros when they were putting the team together for the Russia um, qualifying campaign. Uh, and my, my role really, although it's kind of emergency care advisor, um, I was there as the second doctor for the senior team, the senior men's team, but I had a pretty specific brief of taking those things I've been working on around these human factors, these error minimization to try and work with a developing new team, new medical team with uh, the senior men's team so that our decision-making and our management around all on-field decision-making, but particularly immediate care and recognizing head injury and concussion uh, was as good as it can be. Uh, I often spin this and say, you know, so that we don't have a negative effect on performance, but equally you can put that the other way and say, so that we do have a, as positive an effect on performance as possible through being less likely to make a poor decision. So I, I was very lucky in that respect that an amazing time to come in through the qualifying campaign, um, being an emergency physician as well. Um, you know, obviously I provided an extra level of um, immediate care skills. You don't need that when you're playing at some of the home grounds like Wembley, because obviously there's phenomenal back level of um, support. Um, although it's quite nice to have a buffer between the team and the stadium team or a link rather, but obviously the, some of the qualifiers and some of the other non-international footballs from the Champions League things, you, you're going into environments where you don't really know the people you're dealing with and there's a spectrum of culture, skills, experience and level of support that you're getting in some of these away games. So travelling as an emergency physician as well as the second doctor was an added layer um, of support that uh, I was asked to provide to the, the team. Good stuff. And you've touched a little bit there on, um, you know, your special interest in, in human factors linking in with the emergency type stuff, uh, especially in the kind of pitch side setting and where your interest for that stems from. Do you mind telling us a bit about what's actually meant by the term human factors and why, why is that important in, in the football medicine and performance setting? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a buzzword, human factors, loads of people um, throw it around. Um, and certainly in, in any kind of acute hospital specialty, everybody talks about human factors and ergonomics, the way that humans or the science of how humans interact together with themselves and the environment around them. Um, it, it, although I'm talking about it from an emergency medicine perspective and putting it into sport, of critical care, emergency medicine, stole it from somewhere else. It actually comes from the airline industry where you can see how if you're an airline pilot or if you're working in any aspect of airline industry, air traffic control or anything, what you don't want is people to make mistakes. However, you have to be accepting that humans do make mistakes. You need a system that's good enough so that small mistakes don't become catastrophic failures. Um, so it's around the human and the individual human factors. So how do we communicate? both in terms of what we say to other people and how we say it, but also how well do we listen to what other people say? How well do we understand a perceived hierarchy? Um, so just because the senior doctor says do X, Y, Z, your training and experience recognizes that, well, X is good. Did he really mean to say Y? Because it's a high pressure moment and he might've picked, um, you know, picked that in error. 
having the culture that you can say, just to check, you definitely said do why. Um, and that can be anyone, you know, it can be the most junior person in the team questioning the senior person in the team. Um, or it can be people who are perceived to be on the same level. It's having the culture that you can have that level of interaction of leadership and followership. that You are able to question each other. Um, from the ergonomic side, the, how do we interact with our environment? Um, it's all things like um, you know, what are your kit checks? How do you know that everything you've got works when you need it? Um, how much drill have you done? Have you talked through the what ifs? What are we going to do if this happens? Um, and you know, if we extrapolate that to what we did with head injury, um, head injury in football is is a hot topic. Um, video mechanism uh, review is is common in other sports, but it was only just coming in in football. But it's it's, it's all very well to say we're going to have a video to watch and look for signs of head injury, but what are we actually looking for? You know, what we can't afford to do when the game's going on for real is have some debate around is that a head injury is that not so the human factors around the head injury would be agreeing as a group and agreeing by the evidence what are we going to accept as our criteria for head injury what is the language that we're going to communicate over the radio so we're not communicating in paragraphs we're giving really simple instructions and perhaps most peculiar to football is you know, with a three-minute head injury assessment what are we going to do in that three-minute head injury assessment? You know, what are we going to do that's as evidence-based as we can, um, <clears throat> as we can, um, and that's going to give us some meaningful outcome that we can make a decision, and how are we going to safety net that decision? So, you know, different people mean different things by human factors and ergonomics, but it, it really is the science of how you interact and how you interact with the environment to decrease the chance of a tiny error becoming a catastrophic error, try and positively influence performance. And you've, you've kind of answered a little bit of the, of the next point uh, in, in certain ways, but for kind of listeners working in performance uh, and medicine at, at various levels of sport, including football, is there a difference in the human factors at, you know, different levels looking at, at amateur to, to, you know, to the professional level of the game um, and what can, can football specifically learn from, from other sports such as rugby and your time in other sports? Yeah, I mean, I think fundamentally that, you know, the, the human, um, human factor stuff on an individual level, it's not different because it's a culture. It's, um, it's a system. It's thinking about how, how you speak to other people, how accurate is your language for what you want to say? <clears throat> Can you agree the comms in advance? What um, what people are going to say back to you and what does that mean? What are you most likely to do? You know, what will you anticipate will happen if somebody says a particular buzzword to you? But that kind of stuff is applicable at, at all levels. And you know, there's been lots of examples. I think I remember seeing, I think it was Notts County, um, did quite a lot on... Um, on social media about a whiteboard they used to have in their medical room, basically clarifying things like that about roles and responsibilities and um, drills and, and their key actions if something happened. It was mostly around immediate care, but um, you know you can take that to performance. Um, simple things like having two responders on the pitch rather than one, so you can have one person managing the comms to the bench. Um, now that radio is a bit more uh, tolerable in football than it used to be, uh, and one person actually assessing, you've got 
two pairs of eyes better than one in a busy, high-profile on-field environment. So certainly, you know, 90, 95% of the human factor skills are, are applicable to, to, um, to all levels of, of sport, um, or certainly um, performance sport. Obviously, things like budget, um, things like availability of some technology will make a difference. So for the head injury stuff that we were doing, you know, we're looking at multi-angle, rewindable, uh, real-time video replay to look at from the bench to compare to our criteria that we were we were going to make decisions on. That might be available at all levels. Um, but given that head injury in sport is so high profile, it's the direction of travel. Obviously, coronavirus might have just uh, torn up the budget sheet for quite a few people. But I think once we get back on the on the uh, on the main road with everyone, you know, ultimately systems become cheaper and that behaviour become more ingrained. You'll see these things um, even at the lower levels of professional sport. In terms of other sports, well, you know that's the great thing about high performance sport. Now everyone's very open to sharing and learning experiences. At the end of the day, although I'm saying I'm spinning this, you know, we were trying to do this to have a positive Im impact on our performance in that we didn't leave anybody on the pitch who might have concussion um, and then they might make bad decisions or they might not have the neuromuscular response to, to adapt and then suddenly it costs us a goal and suddenly it costs us a match. Um, <clears throat> you, know, you mentioned rugby there, obviously rugby's got a, a lot of background for me, but stealing this from other sports but also other healthcare systems um, who stole it from the airline industry um, my personal experience with with rugby we um although head injury is much more common in rugby than it is in football perhaps 10 years i think it's 10 years ago now where i was um a pitch a second doctor for, for on a six nations game um with scotland and we've talked about this a lot um we had a high-profile missed knockout that everybody on TV could see. The guy had been knocked out. As, as you know, Andrew, working pitch side, sometimes you have the best seat in the house, but equally you have the worst seat in the house because you only see things once in real time from 50 metres away. Um, and watching back on video afterwards, it was like, oh, yeah, clearly this guy went floppy when he, when he um, hit, um, hit another player, when he tackled another player. And... I remember attending conferences afterwards there where you know, even fellow healthcare professionals were being critical of our response from the floor because they didn't, they'd forgotten that you've got the best seat in the house, but the worst seat in the house. So as a result of that, 10 years ago in, in Scotland, we started bringing in, um, not very sophisticated, but we started relying on pitch side video replay to try and review any contentious incidents so that that didn't happen again. Um, and again, the more people you get interested through sharing ideas, you know, you get the, the enthusiasts, you get the nerds, um, you get the techies, and suddenly we end up with quite a sophisticated system in rugby based on Hawkeye, which I know the Premier League, um, certainly the technology exists as well um, now. So there's tons of things you can learn from, um, from other, other sports in terms of technology. Uh, and of course, in terms of science and evidence, well, the, the various Berlin, Zurich um, census statements around concussion give us the tools, even if they're consensus tools rather than truly evidence-based tools of what we should be doing uh, for head injury management. So our experience in Russia was to take what we could from that and 
because the, the uh, things like the SCAT-5 document um, as a concussion screening tool, yeah, you're supposed to take uh, 10 minutes to do that. You've only got a three-minute assessment. You can't do ten, you can't do all of it. But what could we do um, that would give us a functional assessment within that window so that it was reproducible and we do the same thing every time so that at least it wasn't a random selection and there was some structure to it. So tons from other sports, um, both from a science and technology perspective, and it's great that we're in an open sharing community now. And that's great. I think you've, you know, you've, you've touched on how to develop some of these kind of practical, practical skills and, and the human factor sense and you know, some practical tips on how teams can, can enhance their, their human factors and working together. Um, you've mentioned concussions a hot topic, and I think it's probably a, a good time to, to move on to that. Um, I think it's important, you know, because you're with us to utilize more of your experiences and you've been very open with that so far. Um, but speaking more specifically about concussion in major competitions, which, which we've touched on a little bit, how is it different recognizing concussion in this setting? And what are the kind of common pitfalls and difficulties um, that you, you've experienced before kind of recognizing concussion in major tournaments? Yeah, I mean, the obvious thing about the high performance sport generally, and particularly the major tournament end, is the the um, perceived and actual pressure that you're under in terms of making decisions. Um, and, you know, in, in many respects, I was lucky that I wasn't the person on the grass um, having to make the decision. You know, I was um, uh, behind the bench with the video technology and the radio. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. You know, these, these events, they are really high pressure. Um, and I think we all can think of, of high profile incidents where, bearing in mind what I've just said, um, and certainly, um, you know, to try and, well, thinking about what I've just said, you know, people make decisions based on the best information available to them. And if you haven't actually seen the incident, then you're less likely to make a black and white decision about what you want to do about it. Because concussion is a hot topic. Everybody knows that people who are staggering all over the place <clears throat> or potentially have been knocked out should not be on the field and need to be removed. But there's a difficulty of the pressure of the moment, which you'd hope that most people who work in that environment would be able to cope with that. And through learning about human factors and working about the team interaction, they would have the culture that people could question each other. Having two responders on the pitch, for example, having the radio and video backup pitch side. Um, but equally, there's the fact that you might just not have seen it. And if you've got a player who's saying, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, and you haven't seen what the 3 million people have seen on TV at home, you're less likely to make a black and white decision. So that can be solved by having the right culture and human factors within the team and having the provision of technology. That culture obviously expands to how well you interact with your coach. Um, and, you know, again, how do you, yeah, you can include the the wider performance staff, including coaching staff, in that human factors discussion. Um, it's up to the leaders to have those conversations about this is what we want to do in advance. Make sure that coaches are aware of what your concussion protocol will be, what your head injury protocol will be, why it's important. And yes, I get it that coaches will be feeling the pressure too. But if you spin it as people who've got concussion won't be able to make good decisions and add to the team, and they're less likely to 
or they're more likely to have problems over neuromuscular responsiveness um, or their ability to react suddenly in a situation. And you can spin that as a performance angle to a coach to get them on side. So again, it's pressure. Um, hopefully people can cope with it. The technology should be there. But if it isn't, using human factors, you can create a culture and change behaviours to make it easier for you. Um, within football, I've mentioned that three-minute assessment is difficult because um, you know head injuries and concussion can take 24 hours to surely to, to show itself, um, definitely show itself in terms of symptoms. And, and even in sports, um, like, um, again, picking, picking rugby union, you know, that doing an immediate test, an after-match test, and a next-day test. Even then, sometimes it's only the next-day test you think, oh, right, yeah, okay, you were definitely concussed and we've left you on the pitch. And somebody, I've not seen the reference for this, but I, I was uh, people who, who um, work in, more in football say to me that concussion in football is 70 times less common than in rugby. So you can see how it wouldn't be a, as high a priority uh, and you can see how it would be a, you know, need a more of an active decision to go into that conversation with coaches Um to create that culture that, you know, there is a small chance we might exclude somebody the next day that we've allowed to stay on, but at least we've done some form of assessment within the rules of the sport as they stand currently. And again, we can see, we can see the ongoing theme of human factors linking in with concussion here specifically. Um, based on your kind of experience working within football with the England senior men's team, how do you think these kind of difficulties in recognising concussion in major competitions can be more managed on an individual level rather than you know the specific team level so what can you individually kind of do as the, as the team doctor or the team physician or, or team physio yep so i would um as, a, as an individual level you, you've got to work within the rules of the sport and and the debate around you know is that should the sport change um you've got to bear in mind all those things that i've just said um Concussion is a really hot topic. Um, it's high profile. There are concerns about short, medium and long-term issues. Um, but equally, concussion is not that common uh, compared to other sports. So you know, as, a, as a medic, you can see how this is really important. We need to be right about this. You can spin it to the coach of, if we don't get this right, it's going to negatively affect performance. So we really need to have a, a strict protocol within the rules of the game. Um, but equally, I can see how some administrators may see it's not that common. There are other pressures at the moment within the sport. Um, and uh, the sport needs to focus on, on those. Um, you know, that's a difficult conversation and ongoing lobbying to make it easier for medics to make better decisions on field for the healthcare of the athlete, uh, as well as just the performance of the sport. So, as an individual, I would <clears throat> probably do what we've done, not surprisingly. Learn about human factors. There are many ways you can do that. There's a, there's a good video by a chap called Martin Bromley called Just a Routine Operation, um, which he's an airline pilot whose wife uh, tragically died during an elective operation. Um, and it's all on YouTube. Um, and Martin kind of is a, a standard bearer for better human factors in healthcare now. Uh, and the long and short of it is his wife died because of basic kit 
and cultural behavioural issues in that senior people were all involved but nobody was truly prepared to question each other and nobody noticed the minor error which became a significant catastrophic error uh, because the system wasn't there. So watching Martin Bromley to learn about human factors. There is a good BGSM series and podcast um, on human factors, an introduction to human factors in sport. You can have something in, in writing or another podcast to listen to with a bit more detail about um, how human factors, what it's all about and how it can help you. Have that conversation with your wider performance team and coaches about thinking about your culture, your leadership, followership and your communication. Try and rationalise your communication so they become very action-based. For the um, <clears throat> human factors perverts, I suppose there's, um, there's a chap called Stephen Hearns who we've used at our rugby club to kind of externally validate um, our human factors behaviours at Glasgow Warriors. Uh, and he has a whole series, he even has an online course about performance under pressure. Uh, it's healthcare-based, not sport-based. But um, you know, that will give people greater insight and <clears throat> excuse me, some of the skills into human factors awareness. Um, so that's all the prep you need to do. Then you need to figure out, <clears throat> well, how can it help us? And that's where things like Notts County did with the whiteboard things like we did at England we, and, and everybody does now around drills and the what ifs, um, what will be our natural action if, if uh, this happens um, and getting everybody comfortable that sometimes decisions, uh, although they need to be snappy and dialogued, um, or snappy and less dialogued can be relatively protocoled um, to, uh, to get the best outcome. And thirdly, look at your technology. Um, you know, well, a lot of stuff I was doing with with um, with England there was around working with the technology and the analysts about how do we get the best out of the technology and how do we get the best out of the head injury assessment tools that we have to make it easier for the guys who were on the pitch, the medics on the pitch making the decisions. Um, how do we um, you know make it that we're more likely to make an accurate decision from a healthcare and performance aspect for the players? So we used our head injury assessment protocol uh, throughout the qualifiers and in Russia perhaps a dozen times, but we only actually needed to call a three-minute assessment once. So definitely, um, definitely felt as a valuable experience and at least we got to do it once. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. And you've, you've reflected on the experience across other sports, and I think that's, that's been great. And just to finish off, would there be any kind of two or three pointers where you buy, I think, um, you know, football could, could kind of improve in the concussion uh, recognition and, and helping this kind of uh, assessment process that you've picked up kind of from other sports that you, you think would be useful in a football setting? Yeah, I mean, um, you've got to work within the rules that are available. So the elephant in the room for anybody working concussion is a three-minute assessment. Um, and I know people are looking at that, but equally, as I've said, um, there are a lot of priorities in every sport. Um, and so it'll take time before things like that change. Um, but what you can do is have structure to your assessment. Um, can't do a full scat five in three minutes, but you can choose some relative useful parts, um, relatively useful parts, um, so that at least you have some structure. And when you do get called, when it occasionally happens that you're on field um, and you're looking for a... Um, 
to assess a head injury. Ask the referee for three minutes. Make sure they give you it. Um, that was our experience, um, or my experience, is that you know three minutes is not three minutes. Um, three minutes, the referees would try and get involved sooner than three minutes. Make sure you get the time you're allowed. Make sure you've got some structure, and you're not the random medic waving a finger in front of somebody's face, um, which doesn't form any part of any concussion guideline um, about assessment in sport. Make sure you've got some structure relevant to the consensus documents. Um, so that at least you can make as good a decision as possible and make sure that that three minute assessment isn't the only assessment you do do a full scat five following the match and get a culture so that you can do a full scat five assessment the next day as well and have people accepting that occasionally you might rule somebody out the day after the game based on delayed symptoms um, rather than um, purely saying yeah they're fine after Three, three minutes where it actually ends up being 90 seconds and you've returned to play and never think about it again. Some great points there, not only to kind of maximise the use of the, the medicine and performance team, but also to, to kind of try and utilise, um, you know, other members of, of the game um, to help with concussion assessment. Jonathan, thank you very much for, for joining us today. I think you've provided some, some great insightful kind of pointers there and great reflections as well, very personal to your own experiences. Um, listeners, I'll put up the links for the papers and the articles mentioned and uh, Jonathan can be followed on Twitter at SportsDocSky and we'll put these all up after the podcast. You've been listening to the Football Medicine and Performance Podcast. Have a great day. Sports Talk Sky.